Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers chapter 6. Here in Numbers 6, it's all preparation for their journey, which starts, it kind of builds up and it starts in chapter 10. What's going to happen? Israel is going to begin her journey uh, through the wilderness. And here in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when either a man or a woman, it's very interesting what we see here because it's man or woman of any camp. And yet there are a lot of passages, not just in Numbers, but what we've studied thus far and what we will study in Old Testament and New Testament, uh, more so in the Old Testament, which are very male-centric, very centralized on the, 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 the male as a, um, authority, uh, male um, uh, overseer role. Uh, but then at the same time, there are passages re which reflect uh, it's either or, male or female. And I love it so, mu so much because this is a passage, this particular chapter deals with a very, very special people. Male, female of any camp. Remember, you know, we, we, we have all the camps of Israel. We look at chapter 1, chapter 2. We have all these camps. But then you look at the, uh, the, the, the camp of the Levites, a, a priesthood. But then among the entirety of the camp, there can be a very special people who consecrate themselves unto the Lord. And that's what we see here, these provisions in the law, provisions, statutes, which say for those individuals, this is what happens. This is what that looks like. It's very, very special. This is in the law, and it's a shadow of things to come. And we'll explain that. We'll talk about that further. In verse 2, he says, When either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord. So you see, it's something like, wow, what's this vow of the Nazarite? What's the purpose of it? It's separation unto the Lord. But he says, either a man or a woman consecrates, which translates as to separate and distinguish. It's a little bit consecration, but not so much consecration. I mean, in the Hebrew, you look at the uh, Hebrew, it's to separate and distinguish. Make this determination of what this offering, the purpose of this offering. So either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself. Now, this part, this word for to separate is to separate and consecrate. Consecration, to set apart. Notice, it's done unto self. It says here uh, to separate himself, but that can rather be stated to separate uh, unto the Lord. And I think it's so beautiful because it's a very, very special consecration unto self. I mean, even... Even as New Covenant believers, and you know, I, I don't, you know what I'm talking about when I say this, and you, you, you can't, I mean, for example, say you're in a church setting, and you have, uh, say, 100 people in a congregation, or 500, any number. Say you have 100, and male, female, all kinds of people, but then there's like one or two or three, maybe 10 that are just like, whoa, like they, their walk is different than the majority. It's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what we see here in, in, in chapter six. It's 
a very, very special people consecrated unto the Lord, which consecrate themselves unto the Lord. We see example of the, examples of this as New Covenant believers. And, you know, I don't want to say, you know, if you're like, uh, 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 if that's not you, if you're not like, you know, if you have not consecrated yourself unto the Lord, then, you know, you're hopeless. I don't want to come off that way. But if you're in a situation where, yes, you believe in Jesus Christ, I say, praise the Lord. And, you know, if you're also in a situation where you know that you haven't fully consecrated yourself unto the Lord, then I say, change. My strong encouragement is to change. And for myself, too, we're in the same boat. It's a life that says, Lord, it's yours. For your glory, 100%. I don't care. No matter what happens, I don't care, Lord, because it's all for you. Consecration unto the Lord. And we see a glimpse of that here in this chapter. The vow of the Nazarite, which is to separate himself or to separate herself unto the Lord. Remember, male or female. It's very interesting here. We see this vow of the Nazarite because Nazarite is, uh, um, uh, it, it translates as consecrated. It also translates as an uprooted vine. Love these connotations of, you know, of uh, 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 trees and vines and shrubs and stumps. If you hearken to our study on Sunday, our New Testament studies. Very interesting where the Lord has us at this particular time. Me personally, I don't believe in coincidences. I do not believe in coincidences. And I love it when passages like this, when we see things, these things happen in passages. Because for me, from if, if, if you are interested in hearing a pastor's perspective, it, it's, it's like, you know, the confirmation that we're, we're, we're supposed to be. Kind of like, you know... Um, it, it's just so beautiful because in our journeys with the Lord, it's like, boom, it's like, wow, it's so beautiful. Alignment, like beautiful alignment with the Old Testament, with the New Testament, and sometimes situation, situationally too. I love passages like that. And in your own individual walks, in your own individual journeys, you're going to have that happen all the time as well. Like, whoa, is that a coincidence? Whoa, I can't believe it. No, it's not a coincidence. It's the Lord saying, I'm right here with you. That's what that means. And it's so beautiful because we can fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with him. And not just deeper in love with him, but to trust him more and more and more. Understanding that his ways are better than my ways. His ways are better than your ways. His ways are better than our ways. Why? Because we are the clay. He is the potter. We are the clay. Does the clay shape himself? Does the clay shape herself? You know, uh, uh, metaphysically speaking, uh, metaphorically speaking, we see that in the world. But what about in the church? Sometimes we see that in the church. Maybe, you know, in a lot of ways we see it in the church. But for a very special people who choose to consecrate self unto the Lord, Male, female, I don't care. It's a different picture. Very special people. And so look what happens here. This Nazarite, which is consecrated, <clears throat> excuse me, consecrated as an unpruned vine. At the same time, it reminds me of a different name. The name Nazareth. 
Nazareth, which we get from the word Netzer in the Hebrew, which translates as a branch or a shoot. Very interesting, a branch or a shoot. Also hearkening to uh, uh, the example of the tree. How, you know, we studied that in our New Testament studies. Turn with me really quick to Isaiah 11. In Isaiah 11, we see something happen here through uh, the prophet Isaiah. He says in chapter 11, verse 1, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Translate says, There shall come forth a shoot or a twig from the stem of Jesse or from the trunk or the stump of Jesse. You see, you start to see these prophecies from Isaiah. And it's like, whoa, oh my goodness, I mean, we're spoiled now. The church today is spoiled. Why? Because we have the full counsel of the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament. We have the full counsel of the Word of God, but then, you know, we have to read it at the same time and understand Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, and then also prophecy. In light of prophecies that have been fulfilled, in Jesus Christ, in, in his first coming, but then prophecies that explain his second coming. Indicators of what that's going to look like. He says here, there shall come forth a rod or a shoot. I love that, you know, we're in Christmas season. And, you know, you go to like, you know, you look at the trees or you go to like a tree farm or whatever. And they have all these trees that they're selling. And, you know, this isn't, I'm, I don't want to get into an argument about, you know, like, you know, uh, Oh, it's a pagan belief system. I understand the roots of that. But what happens in a Christian home? You know, in a Christian home, what, you know, you can take, you know, uh, 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 you can take uh, the gift giving Christmas time celebration of the birth of Jesus. You know, so many times it's, oh, that's a pagan or it's a pagan ritual. It's a pagan ritual. Okay. But, you know, what about gift giving? You know, gift giving and then understanding like a free gift. You know, here's a gift for you. And then like to explain to children, you know, the free gift that we have in Jesus Christ. Celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. You know, it's so beautiful what can happen inside of a Christian home, despite the world that we live in. The darkness that we see in the world. Remember in the Old Testament, you have Israel in Egypt. You know, there's slaves in, 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 in this encampment of slavery. But that encampment, it was called Goshen. And that's where there was light. Darkness befell all of Egypt except there was light in Goshen. That's what's so beautiful about a Christian home. Light. Who can, you know, the world is dark. Yes, the world is dark. It's like, okay, how are we going to respond? It's like, you know, you're yeah, in, in the military and you're, you know, in this campaign and you're going to go into this area that is, you know, heavily fortified. It's like, okay, yeah, it's dark. There's some, you know, factions there which are dangerous. But you're ready. You're ready for it. And I'm not, you know, I, I don't want to come off as like, you know, a warmonger. But the fact remains, you're ready for it. Or you're a farmer. And, you know, the rainy seasons are coming. Well, because you've been well trained, it's like, you know, you've been you know, generationally trained. It's like, okay, you're ready for it. You know how to, you know, just like with, with uh, Joseph. When the famine came, it's like, okay, he, he was ready for it. He had wisdom of the Lord, and he was ready for it. 
Not to say that the famine didn't come. The famine did come. But he was ready for it. He was prepared. And in his preparation, in his state of readiness, he was able to help the people. It's like little glimpses of Goshen. All through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, and even, yes, all through today, where you see these consecrated people. But you see here in Isaiah 11, verse 1, that there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. And you notice these. He says, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and a uh, 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 netzer in the Hebrew, netzer. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. So you hear me talk about the Christmas tree. So you go to the Christmas tree farm and people are buying their trees and, you know, throwing them on their cars, strapping them to their cars. But then you look off in the distance on the tree farm. And what do you see? It's like you see these little tiny twigs in the ground. You ask the tree guy, hey, what's up with that? What are those? Say, oh, that's for next year. Or that's for two years down the road. You see these little twigs coming out of the ground. It's like, oh, yeah, those are the Christmas trees next year. Those are the Christmas trees two years from now. It's beautiful to see. And then I think about that. I see that and I think about that. And it reminds me of here, chapter 11, verse 1 of Isaiah. There shall come forth a, a, a rod or a shoot or a twig from the stem, from the trunk, stump of Jesse. And a branch, netzer in the Hebrew, shall grow out of his roots. You say, wait a second. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Yeah, he was born in Bethlehem. But here in accordance with the prophecy, it says a branch shall grow. Where did he grow up? Nazareth. Will grow. It's so beautiful when we see it. A little side note. It just so happens that, you know, between this message and the next message, we'll have Christmas. <laughs> you know, I love it so much when stuff like this happens. I shouldn't say stuff like this, but when it's like, wow, Lord, it's like you're, you're, you're it's so perfect. It's so perfect when these uh, alignments happen. I shouldn't say when these alignments happen. The alignments are happening. But when we get a palpable sense of these alignments, corporately as a church body, it happens individually all the time. But corporately as a church body, as a body of believers, corporately it happens too. It's so beautiful when it happens. Look what happens here in verse 2. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You see? Something too, you know, we have, you know, I don't want to get into uh, side studies, but because, you know, I want to stay focused on our, our study in the book of Numbers. But then at the same time, these seven spirits that are listed in verse 2 correlate with Revelation chapter 5 verse 6. The seven spirits of the Lord. And here in verse 2 says the spirit of the Lord, uh, a spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear. All of these things, I shouldn't say all of these things, all of these correlate with Revelation 5 verse 6. Seven spirits of the Lord. You see? And I love it so much because it's like, whoa, Lord, this is so beautiful what you're doing. Old Testament and New Testament and even to today. The work that you're doing. You see? And then when you read passages where Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Or you read passages where the Lord says, I never change. Wow, how, how true it rings. 
how true it rings in the heart of the consecrated, even to this day, even right here, right now. And even I pray in faith with you. And I say this to expand, to grow, to blow up your faith in the Lord. Let it be stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger as we progress further in these last days. Let's go back to Numbers. And here what we see in Numbers, male or female consecrates an offering to take a vow of the Nazarite to separate himself, to consecrate himself unto the Lord. If, in, 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 or in, in, in verse 3, remember, male or female, very special people, consecration of self. He says in verse 3, he shall, in continuation, no, no period from the previous verse. He says, he shall separate himself, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink, translates as strong drink. He shall drink neither vinegar, that's like light alcohol. You ever, you ever hear people say like, you know, uh, you know, madam, have you been uh, sipping the cooking sherry? Because, you know, there's certain cooking vinegars which have alcoholic content. You know, very low, but it's still alcohol content. You know, this vinegar made from wine, he says, nor vinegar made from similar drink or strong drink. And, you know, I think it's so beautiful because what do we have, you know, in, in the church today? You have people who say, you know, oh, yeah, I don't drink wild turkey. But, you know, I'll drink some wine. Or I don't drink, you know, the hardcore whiskey, but, you know, uh, scotch, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll drink a wine cooler. You know, and if you're a wine drinker, you know, there's a lot of people in the church that, you know, they're wine drinkers. And, you know, our pastor in California, he always used to say he used to go to a restaurant and like he would see people that, that were in his church. He'd go out and he's like, hey, pastor, how you doing? And they take their beer, they take their wine and they put it under the table and hide it. You know, and you know, you don't have to do that. But me personally, I don't touch the stuff. I don't care in any way, shape, or form. I don't touch it. And you know, even sometimes when I'm sick, you know, my last resort is to take like cough syrup. That's like but the very last thing I do. And I pray before I do it. Because I, I just I don't that's just me. I, I don't like the I don't like that. That's me in my former days. It was my God. Alcohol was my God. And I repented of that. And the Lord has changed me. But for me personally, I just won't touch this stuff. Now, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, if you're a wine drinker, you're going to burn in hell. I won't say that. But, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, you look at the effects of uh, alcoholic drink, light or strong. It's not good. Not good at all what it leads to and my uh, uh, tendencies unto alcohol in my uh, unsaved days it started with like wine coolers you know the light stuff the so-called light stuff and it's like wow it gave room for more it created a thirst for more you know i wanted more i wanted more and then it got it got worse and this is a lie of the pit of hell. That's how Satan, you know, you have like, you know, marijuana as a gateway drug. Well, sometimes wine is a gateway drink. And then you see the winos, then they turn into straight up alcoholics. And so that's 
That's my, that's me personally. And I share that with you. If you're like a wine drinker and you're like feeling conviction, well, I pray it's not my conviction, but you know, you might be feeling conviction of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. But that's how I, that's my sentiments on strong drink and even not so strong drink and even weak drink. I just don't like it. Because I think about the, you know, the, the, the gateway, the introduction. That's for me. But then say, for example, if, you know, I'm at a restaurant or anywhere else, you know, and, you know, somebody from the church walks into the restaurant and the waiter, you know, greets them and or the, the greeter greets them and then takes them to their table. They pass by and they look and they see, wow, that's the pastor and he's drinking whiskey. That's the pastor. He's drinking beer. No, I, I, don't, I don't want to cause another person to stumble. I don't want to be the reason for another person to stumble. You see? So we have to be wise. Consider the weaker brother. Consider the weaker sister. You say, oh, I'm not weak. I'm not weak. Well, it's not about that. It's not about the weakness. You know, it's like... How do I put this? Well, if... um. If you're going to buttress another person or help another person or, you know, it requires you to get underneath another, you know, or how do I put this? I'll, I'll say a car. Say, you know, your car's stuck, you know. Well, if your car is stuck positionally, you're in the driver's seat. Your car is stuck. You can't move, you know, or maybe you're on ice and, you know, the wheels are, you know, slipping, not getting traction. And so what does that mean? Another person has to, you know, make sure you're okay. And it's like, okay, now I'm going to get behind you. I'm going to put my hands on the trunk or on the backside of the car. And I'm going to push. And, you know, hopefully, you know, there might be one guy, two guys, three guys, whatever. And, you know, we're going to get behind you and we're going to push. And then what's going to happen? Hopefully your wheels will get traction. It'll go a little bit further. And then, boom, you're ready to go. So, Positionally speaking, you know, you're in the driver's seat. Positionally speaking, the help has to get behind you in order to push you forward. And that's because I've talked with people, spoke with people before and they say, oh, what do you mean weaker? I'm not weak. I'm not weak. Well, you're thinking about carnal weakness because for all of us, our strength is in the Lord. But sometimes, you know, when you are stronger, you know, and our strength is in the Lord. But when you are in that position of strength, you know what? You have to get behind another person to help them. Humility. Positionally speaking, you in the back. You last. Why? Because you're a pusher. You're a helper. You talk to prideful people. It's like, you know, oh, you say I'm weak. I'm not weak. Well, I'm not talking about, you know, weak like you're thinking about it. Our strength is in the Lord. Our weakness is the flesh. That's that's what I'm talking about. And so that's my, my sentiments about alcohol. You know, I don't want to cause a weaker person to stumble. So what does that mean? Denial of self. Denial of self. You say, oh, it's okay for you to drink beer. No, not for me. Maybe for you. I pray not for you, but not for me. I've made my choice. Why? Because I don't want to be under the influence of hard drink, strong drink, light drink, weak drink, none. And so look what happens here. 
in this vow of a consecrated people, they have a similar a similar take. You know, I shouldn't say a similar take, but in the law, there's a similar position. It's the Naz the, the people who take this vow of the Nazarite, they're the ones that align themselves. That's their take. They align themselves with this statute in the law, which is in verse 3, shall separate himself from wine and similar drink or strong drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from sim similar drink or strong drink. You see? Neither shall he drink any grape juice. Whoa, as a, you know, now he's going like hardcore. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat any fresh grapes or raisins. These are fruits used to make wine. Is to abstain from those things. Now, you know, wait a second, are you saying that we shouldn't do this? Well, wait a second, you know, number one, this is the law. Number two, these provisions in the law for the camp is for this person that's going to make a, a, a special vow of consecration, the vow of the Nazarite. You know, I don't want to come off like, you know, Seventh-day Adventist. You know, where you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, and you must eat this, you must eat this, you must drink this, you must drink this, you can't eat, you can't eat. You know, I don't want to come off that way. And this is the law. Understand that this is the law. And also understand we're going to see a picture of, you know, as the as new covenant believers, a, a shadow of what this is. Very special people. He says in verse 4, all the days of his separation, he, remember, male or female, of any tribe. And understand, too, that this is voluntary. It's not imposed. It's not anybody saying, hey, tomorrow you're going to take the vow of the Nazarite. Not a parent saying to a child, not a, a, a spouse saying to, you know, their other spouse or, you know, a person saying to their spouse. It's completely voluntarily, voluntary. A person can go to the priest and say, hey, priest, you know, I think I'm, I'm ready to take this vow. It's like, well, you're like, you know, you don't have to do this. I, I know priest, but I'm going to do it. And that's what I love so much because we're going to see some terrible things in the book of Numbers. Terrible things. And it's going to break your heart. And, you know, as we see these terrible things and these, I mean, you know, what's so beautiful is that, yes, we're going to see these terrible things. But precursory to the terrible things, we see these provisions in the law that the Lord is making. And understand that the Lord knows these terrible events that's going to happen in the camp. The Lord knows about it. Just like the, 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 the golden calf. The Lord knew about the golden calf. And yet he made a way. You see how beautiful the Lord is? That Christ died for you and me while we were sinners. We didn't have to clean ourselves up. We didn't have to get, you know, cleaned up, get right, and all these things. It's like, boom, he takes me, he takes you in our state of filth. And then he cleans us up. And that's what I love so much because he takes you and me in our state of filth. And then he does the work inside of you, inside of me. Inside of all who believe. That's why for us as Christians, we have to be very careful with, you know, oh, you know, uh, just like we studied in the book of Romans. We have to be very careful with, you know, understand that, yes, there's the world and yes, there's people in the world, but see them as fish. View them as fish. 
because, you know, you get to be very careful because what happens, a lot of times people develop this elitist mentality. Oh, we're going to heaven. You're going to burn in hell. And then they look at passages and they say, oh, yeah, you're predestined to hell. I'm predestined to heaven. You see, and it's like, wait a second. You look at the entirety of the world and you see a bunch of fish, fish. But the fishermen are, they have to be wise. They have to be strong in the Lord. They have to be warriors too. Because when you go fishing, don't forget, Satan's a fisherman too. When you go fishing, a little minnow might bite, you know, might, 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 you might catch one of those. Or a little trout might bite, or a salmon, or a sturgeon, or, you know, a tuna, or, you know, a whale. It, who, based on your strength in the Lord, based on your knowledge of the Word, based on your wisdom of the Lord, which are you able to catch? You know, you might be a milk drinker. You've been, you know, if you're a milk drinker and you were, you know, born again yesterday, praise be to the Lord. If you're a milk drinker and you, you became a Christian 30 years ago, okay, we got some problems. You see, it's growth, maturity in the Lord. And as you grow and as you mature, what happens is that you're able to, you know, catch your, your strong, your strength is in the Lord, but you're able to catch a minnow, a trout, a salmon, a sturgeon, a tuna, a shark. You know, a whale. But what happens because Satan's a fisherman too? You know, somebody's physically able, metaphorically speaking, but they're physically able to catch a trout. But then a tuna bites the, you know, they, they catch a tuna. And because they don't have the strength, the knowledge, the wisdom, all of a sudden they fly out and the tuna catches them. The whale catches them. The shark catches them. And sometimes in the water, they succumb. Because Satan's a fisherman too. They cause a person to leave the rock of salvation. And then all of a sudden that person gets lost into the world again. So we have to be wise to the times. Very wise to the times. And at the same time, in the Old Testament, we see these provisions. That the Lord, you know, you hear me say in the book of Numbers, these terrible things are going to happen. And the Lord knows about it. And he's still making these provisions. Preparing the people so that when these things happen, there's a means for atonement. There's a means for forgiveness. There's a means for grace again. You see, and this is the law. And if this is the law, how much more it is for the law of faith. How much better it is in accordance with the law of faith. Romans 3, the law of faith. And so, we see here in verse 4, all the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. All the days of the vow. Remember how the Lord takes vows very seriously. We studied that in our in the book of Leviticus. You know, the Lord takes vows very, very seriously. Even though we don't as people. We often don't, you know. But for the most part, the majority don't. Let that not be you. You know, take your vows seriously unto the Lord. And so here in verse 5. 
all the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Remember, this is, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we talk about sin. We see passages of sin or transgression or a fall. And, you know, I say it's self-inflicted. I always say it's self-inflicted because it is. But then you turn it on the other side and don't forget, don't forget that righteousness can be self-applied as well. Because here in verse 5, we see he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. You know, sin is self-inflicted, but also righteousness is self-applied. When you, when me, when we make choices to honor the Lord in obedience to his word, you see, these choices that we make is self-applied. We make a choice, cognizant choice. Wow, Lord, this brings you dishonor. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to touch that. This brings you, this is not honorable to you, Lord. So therefore, my choice is I'm not going to do that. Sometimes, you know what happens the majority of the times? Wow, Lord, this doesn't bring you honor, but I like it, Lord. And, you know, I know you're good and you're gracious. I know you're merciful. I know you love me. And so I'm going to do this anyway. And then I'm going, I'll repent later. When, it, when I remember, I'll repent later. That's not good. That is not good at all. And that is very common in the church. But to the consecrated, to a very, very special people, they think ahead. Wow, Lord, this brings you honor. And in my former ways, in my ways when I was dead, I used to like that. And this brings you dishonor, Lord. I'm not going to touch that stuff. I'm not touching that stuff, Lord. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to honor you. Because you know what? I take this. I go here. My friends call me. They say, hey, let's go here. No way, Lord. That brings you dishonor. So, you know, you call them back. Nope. I'm sorry. I'm not going. Oh, but we got this, you know. Uh, it's so good. We got this high quality, whatever it is, alcohol, drugs. We got this. Nope, I'm not touching that. Why? Because you're forward looking, you're forward thinking. You say, wait a second, how forward? Very forward. Zion, that's how forward. Paradise, eternity, that's how forward. You keep your eyes on the prize, my friend. Even when a lot of people, the majority don't. You, I'm speaking to you. You keep your eyes on the prize. You make a choice. When your friends call you, hey, let's go do this. We got this. these drugs. It's the high quality. That's nice. No thanks. Oh, let's go here, you know. Uh, whatever, you know. It could be here. You know, something bad. That's nice. No thanks. You know, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to be in the Word. You want to join me? You know, come on, let's have a Bible study. You see? And so we see here this uh, self-imposition of these statutes because it's a very special consecration unto the Lord. He shall separate himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of his hair of, of the hair of his head grow. All the days that, that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. So you see, the law has rules of cleansing from, from, from the dead. 
don't go near a dead body. We studied this a little bit in Leviticus. And we're going to see more of it. Old Testament and even the New Testament. Even the New Testament. There's this distinction between the living and the dead. That's why I don't get And there's passages in the law where it's like, whoa, you know, like necromancy. Forbidden from the Lord. Don't don't do this. And so what these that's why I don't get how pastors, so-called pastors, can get away with this concept of grave soaking. I don't care how popular they are, I don't care how popular their music is. But it emanates in Northern California. That's how it started. It started, you know, before. It's an occult practice. But for a church to start start to adopt these method, methods of grave soaking, you hear me speak about it, grave soaking. And I don't say it just, you know, without cause. It's not good. Don't do that. If you have a pastor that teaches grave soaking, where you go and lay on the grave of a dead person who was a Christian to soak in the work of the, soak in the Holy Spirit, don't do that. I don't care what the pastor says. I don't care what the elder says. Don't do that. It is not right before the Lord. That pastor needs to repent. That so-called pastor needs to repent, go on hiatus, and, you know, I would say step down. Because misleading the flock of God. Remember, the flock of God, the journey of God's people is to paradise. That's the journey of God's people, to paradise. The promised land. Why in the world would a so-called pastor... Why in the world would a so-called pastor direct that person away from sound doctrine? Why? I mean, I could give you reasons why. And it's all, the origins are satanic. You say, wait, are you saying this pastor satanic? Could be. It could be influenced by Satan, demonically influenced. It's not good. So if you're in a church and your pastor says, hey, we're going to go grave soaking. Don't do that. Don't do it. Even if like the whole church, say there's a church of 500 people and everybody does it. Wow, this is so fun. This is so cool. And you're the only one and they make fun of you. Let them make fun of you. Rejoice that you're counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. Don't do it. You have the choice to make. Everybody's going off to crazy town nowadays. You stand. And so look what happens here. <clears throat> In verse 7, he shall not make himself unclean. Remember, make himself. It's him, it's self, his self-doing. It's self-inflicted. He shall not make himself unclean, even for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister. When they die, because his separation to God is on his head. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, you know, uh, mom and dad, they die. And it's like, obviously, like no, I'm, I can't be near a dead body. You see, that's this Nazarite vow. That's hardcore. I mean, imagine what, you know, a family dies. And then you don't attend the funeral. Imagine what the family would say. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. You're so mean. Wait a second. 
It's like in accordance with the, I mean, if we're in the Old Testament, in accordance with the, I can't be near a dead body because I'm consecrated unto the Lord. I've taken the vow of the Nazarite. It's a very special uh, offering. And not just the offering, but it's a very special consecration. It's making a choice to honor the Lord. You see? And it's so beautiful when we see passages like this, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. Turn with me really quick to... Um, uh, let me see. Or actually... We see here the where am I? verse seven. He shall not make himself unclean even for his father or his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. So imagine what family would say. Imagine what family would say. I, I cross reference my notes here, so I apologize for that. But imagine what family would say if somebody does that. We're Old Testament. Say we go back in time. We're in Old Testament times. And we're here, and you're you you you're so in love with the Lord, and you know all the camp of Israel, they're they're doing, they're performing the letter of the law, they're offering here, offering there, and that's good. I'm not saying that that's bad, and I'm not advocating the law, but you, you see these, the, everything is working fine, like a finely tuned, everything is working perfectly. The Levites are doing this, the high priests are doing this, the people, the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Benjamin, everything is working fine. In your heart of hearts, there's also something brewing. It's like, yes, this is fine, but wow, the Lord has been so good to me. The Lord has been so good to my family. The Lord has been so good to, like, it. you're just like, what do I do? Look, he brought us up out of Egypt. And you remember what slavery was like in Egypt. And here you are, yes, you're in the wilderness, but it's like, wait a second, like, I'm not a slave anymore. And you're just so in love with the Lord. And you tell somebody, you're like, wow, what do I do? I'm so in love with the Lord. And your best friend tells you, you're like, well, you know, just go to work. You know, do the works of the law. And, you know, maybe they just don't get it. Not that it's bad for them. You know, not meant, I would hope that they have a different mentality. But say you go to your friend. You go to a close family member. What do I do? I just, I'm so in love with the Lord. What do I do? You know, I mean, I know there's these provisions in the law. We have these offerings and sacrifice. We do these things and we make these things unto the Lord. But wow, I just, I in my heart of hearts, it's just like, it's not enough. And the friend's like, eh, no, babe, what are you talking about? You know, here, have, have this drink, you know, it's a little wine. I know you not don't like to drink, but here there's just, it's, you know, vinegar, you know, it's, it's, it's light, very light. Like it's a little wine cooler. Take the edge off. Like, no, you know, I'm sorry, friend. You know, I'm sorry, family member. I'm not down with that. Then you go back home. You start walking home back to your tent. And you're like, man, what do I do? Then you come across a priest. Hey, priest, you know. You have a little conversation with him. Yeah, I know that, you know, God is so good to us, priest. Look at what he did here. Look at what he's done with us, the people, my family. He just blesses my socks off. And then the priest says, hey, have you heard about the vow of the Nazarite? No, I haven't. 
Well, let me tell you about this vow of the Nazarite. Then you learn about it. It's like, whoa, I think I'm going to do this. You pray. It's like, wow, you know what? I'm doing this. It's very beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. I'm not advocating the law. I'm not saying, you know, as Christians that, you know, we start to do these things. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this very, very similar concept. Very similar, very similar um, attribute in the life of a believer. Where, yes, everybody's going through the motions. Everybody's, you know, the majority going through the motions. And then you have, you know, the majority where they're doing things. Yes, they love the Lord. Yes, they fear the Lord. But in your heart of hearts, it's just different. It's like, man, like you you, you cannot wait to just be in paradise. Like you're, You just want to be in paradise. It's like palpable. You start to look forward to like what everybody hates. You start to look forward to. It's just different. You see, consecration unto the Lord. That's what I was talking about when we started like a, a, a congregation of 100 people, 500 people, 1,000 people. I would hope, I would pray that, you know, everybody, you know, has a, a special consecration unto the Lord. But don't forget that this uh, vow, you know... In verse 5, he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. You see, it's it's personal. And the Lord is right there with you. As new covenant believers, I'm not saying do this, you know, in accordance with the law. I'm saying it's good and do it, but in accordance with the law of faith. Do it under grace. Consecration of self unto the Lord. In verse 8, all the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. Remember when in our study in Leviticus, I made mention of Kodesh Kodesh, which is very sacred and holy. Kodesh Kodesh. Here in the Hebrew, this word for holy is Kadosh Kadosh. It's sacred and holy, but as a saint, as an angel, and even as God. Whoa. And I don't want to sound heretical in saying that. But... It's a shadow of the new covenant where the Lord says, abide in me, which is for holy people, very consecrated people. And he also says, and I in you. You see, it's two becoming one. It's like Kodesh Kodesh is abide in me and Kadosh Kadosh is and I in you. You see, remember the righteousness of man it's filthy rags. But the righteousness of Lord, it's beautiful. It is glorious. And you know what that is? That's Christ in you. If you let him. If you allow the Spirit to do a work in your heart. But going through the motions, it doesn't work anymore. Not, that, not to suggest that it did work before. But it doesn't work because, remember, the days are getting darker and darker and more evil, more evil. And it's going to be so bad that no flesh would be saved. That's what Jesus Christ says. It's going to be so bad that no flesh would be saved unless those days were shortened. That's what the Lord says. That's how bad it's going to be. So bad that no flesh would be saved unless those days were shortened. 
And so he says this in verse 9, and if anyone dies very suddenly beside him. So you have the, this person taking the vow of the Nazarite, male, female, it doesn't matter. But you have this person taking the vow of the Nazarite. And, you know, somebody says, hey, you know, uh, uh, your mom died. Uh, uh, hey, uh, uh, your cousin died. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're sad. And it's like, okay, and oh, the funeral, we're going to have the funeral tomorrow. No, I'm sorry, you know, go, you know, I won't be there. What? You're so mean. What do you mean? I'm serving the Lord. What? God is love. He wants you to say, like, wait a second. You're consecrated unto the Lord. You're taking this vow of the Nazarite. But then say there's another person who's taking the vow of the Nazarite or, you know, somebody who happens to, you know, you're consecrated unto the Lord. And, you know, something happens where it says in verse nine, if somebody dies very suddenly and they're beside you, so maybe sitting right next to you, you happen to be sitting down, you know, talking with somebody. And, you know, a guy has a heart attack right there and you see him have a heart attack and, you know, you, you're, you're too, it's so quick and sudden that you can't, you know, move away. The guy has a heart attack and then all of a sudden he falls and then he touches you. You see in verse 9, And if anyone dies very suddenly beside, beside him and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. You see? Contact with a dead body. Not good. In, in this vow, not good. And you know, I shouldn't say not good in this vow. Not good, period. Because there's also provisions in the law, which we're going to read. We're going to study these things. Where, you know, because of contact with the dead, certain things where the Lord says, you can't do this. We're going to see that more in the book of Numbers. We're going to see the role of the red heifer. We're going to see uh, even in uh, uh, David, when David wanted to build the tabernacle. The Lord says, no, you can't do it. You're a man of war. You have blood on your hands, a lot of blood. You're a man of war. You can't do these things. You see, it's not for you, David. So I, I, I don't want to come off and say like, you know, contact with the dead is okay. But it's not okay in the law. And even as New Covenant believers, there's an aspect of the dead where it's still not good. And we're going to touch on that a little bit here. In verse 10, look what happens here. Then on the eighth day, very interesting because remember the law of circumcision, what happens on the eighth day? And what is the circumcision as New Covenant believers? These are things that we've studied. Verse 10, then on the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest. Kohen is what that is in the Hebrew which is the high priest, the Kohanim, to the door. Very interesting. Remember in our study in Leviticus? And I was make mention that, you know, whenever you see a door in the Bible, you know, remember that Jesus Christ says, I am the door, I am the gate. And there are prophetic implications from the Old Testament as a shadow into the new covenant and a shadow of Jesus Christ himself. So at this, uh, this high priest, the Kohen, you see to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But then what happens there? Verse 11, and the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him. So you see something, a, a person is, has consecrated himself. Consecrated self, remember male, female. Consecrated self. 
And the dead touches him. Or he's near the dead. And all of a sudden, he has to shave his head. You know, it's interesting here. I wonder how many females ever took this Nazarite vow. I would say probably few. It's not mentioned in the Bible. It was there. It was available. I wonder how many females took, oh, I don't want to cut my hair. I don't want to cut my hair. I'm not, I'm not speaking vanity-wise. I'm speaking covering-wise. Covering you know, I don't want to cut my hair. But it's so beautiful, like, you know, if there was one, I don't know, it's not captured in scripture. If there's just one who says, you know what, I don't care about my hair, it's off. I'm going to be made fun of, you know, they're going to make fun of me, I'm bald, who cares? Cut it off. The vow of the Nazarite. Very special. Also as a shadow of the things to come. Why? Because it points to Christ. That shoot, that rod of Jesse. Just like the prophecies say in Isaiah. How beautiful it is to see passages like this in the law. Straight up numbers. And so you see the person wants to consecrate. It is consecrating himself. They have contact with the dead. Something unclean shaves head. Now, what do we see? No covering. Speaking of the hair. No covering. Then they go to the high priest. And what do they bring to the high priest? A sin offering and a burnt offering. You see? Do you understand? Can you see the new covenant undertones? When you approach the high priest, capital H, capital P, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You see? <laughs> He says this, so he, he offered, he, 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 the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering and make atonement for him because he sinned in regard to the corpse and he shall sanctify his head that same day. So the guy is bald and I don't know if there was a female that ever did it. It's not captured in scripture, but how beautiful it would be to see that. If we could go back in time in a time machine and look like, wow, I wonder if there was a female that ever did this. A bald female being made fun of. Look, she's bald, she's bald. No hair, no covering. But the Kohen, the priest, says, no. Here's your covering. He shall sanctify his head. Your head is sanctified. Why? You've taken the vow of the Nazarite. You've taken a very special vow of consecration unto the Lord, male or female. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation, verse 12, and bring a male lamb in his, in his year, in his first year, as a trespass offering. But the former days shall be lost or shall be made void because his separation was defiled. So you see this is in the new covenant. The consecration can be defiled by the dead. That's what happened. Like in verse 9, you know, all of a sudden this guy died. And this consecration can be defiled by the dead. But even as new covenant believers, your consecration, my consecration can be defiled by the dead. You say, wait a second. What do you mean? You sound legalistic. 
well, I speak, you know, maybe I am legalistic, but in an, an entirely different law, a law that you don't understand, the law of faith. Sometimes you say, oh, you're such a legalist, you're such a legalist. Huh? Maybe I'm guilty as charged. And if that's the case, it's a different law, the law of faith, one that you don't understand. Turn with me really quick to Luke, Luke chapter 9. In Luke 9, verse 59, then he, speaking about Jesus, then Jesus, then he said to another, follow me. But he, the person now, so Jesus Christ says, follow me. And the person whom he spoke to says, but he said, Lord, let me first go. Very interesting. Let me first go. So I wonder what superseded Jesus' words here. Jesus says, follow me. And the guys on board, whoever he was speaking to, the guys on board, yeah, Lord, I'm, I'll follow you. But something superseded the words of Jesus Christ. Yeah, Lord, I'm on board. I'll follow you. But let me first, let me do something else first before what you say. There's something else before you. Whoa, very interesting. What is that? Let me first go and bury my father. Whoa. You see? What's exposed here is that the word of the Lord is not preeminent. Just as we read in Colossians. If that's the case with you, change. Change. Let the Lord be preeminent in your life. Let the word of the Lord be preeminent in your life. When the Lord puts things on your heart, of course you test the spirits. But then at the same time, when the Lord says, follow me, don't be like this guy who says, let me first go. Yes, Lord, I'm on board. But, you know, let me do something first. There's something that I want to do that supersedes what you want me to do. You see, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. This is a very hardcore message for parents. Because parents, you know, your kids, yes, they are to honor you. Yes, your, your kids are to honor you. But never. Never, and I've said this before, never at the expense of Jesus Christ. Never. Your, you know, your kids, maybe your kids don't honor you. Or maybe the kids don't honor you like you want them to honor you. You know, that's, that's when people start to lord over their kids. Oh, you're supposed to respect me. You're supposed to honor me. Honor, because it is written, honor your parents, you know. I wonder, for this guy who told Jesus Christ, let me first go and bury my father, I wonder if his parents, when he was being raised, I wonder if his parents lorded over him. Oh, honor your father, honor, honor, honor your father, honor your mother. You're supposed to honor us. How old was this guy? 
It'd be one thing if he was like a little teenager. But it'd be another thing if he was like 40, 50. Parents, you know. And biblically speaking, you are to receive honor. It's honor in accordance with the Lord and His Word. Not honor to where like you're king of your family. You're the queen of your family. No, the king of your family should be Jesus Christ. You in submission to Him. Your kids in submission to Him. And the honor that you receive is never greater than His. If that's the case, you, O parent, repent. Repent. It's not good. You're a problem in the walk of your children, the ones who you claim to love. Because look at what Jesus Christ says to this guy with this mindset. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And then to another, in verse 61, And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. Yeah, yes, Lord, I'm on board. But let me first go. You see, what was it that superseded the words of the Lord when he said, follow me? This guy's on board, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Let me go to my family, Lord. Let me go to my family, and I'm just going to say my goodbyes. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow. So this guy, he puts his hand on the plow. He's ready to go. Yes, Lord, I'm ready. But he's not really ready. Why? And looking back. See, he might look ready. He has his hands on the plow. He might look ready. And then all of a sudden he looks back. So what's revealed? He's not really ready. And what does Jesus Christ say? Looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So when you hear me say, parents, if you're lording over your kids, you're not helping their walk with the Lord, you need to repent. You're like, whoa, that's so mean-spirited and mean-spirited. Is it really? Maybe in you, instead of you saying that I am wrong, maybe you are wrong. Why do I say that? Because look right here. Anybody who has this mentality of, you know, let me first go to my, you know, family first, family. Everybody says that. Family first, family first. And I'm not, I'm not denying you know, family. <laughs> but there's a different family. The heirs of Abraham. Heirs of promise. And accordance to faith. There's a different family. That carnal eyes cannot see. Only consecrated eyes can see and understand. There's a different family. A different family tree. You see? And when I say family tree, I mean family tree. The stump. The stump of Jesse. You see? The stump is holy. Remember our study? New Testament studies and Old Testament studies. The stump is holy. You say, you're so mean-spirited. How dare you say that? How dare you come against family? I, I, I speak of a different family. One that you don't see. Oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. Maybe I am, but I speak in a different law that you, that you don't understand. Why? Because if you're a parent and you lord over your kids in this manner to where your kids are like, you know, your slaves, 
Your kids, you know, you order your kids. You have to honor me. You have to honor me. You have to honor me. Wait a second. Your honor is never greater than Jesus Christ. It should never be. But you put this on your kids. You instill this in your kids. And you're hurting their walk. Why? Because anybody having put his hand to the plow and looking back is 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 fit for the kingdom. He said, no one in verse 20, 62, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one. You see? One generation has to help the next generation in their walk with the Lord because the objective is, hey, we're going to paradise. We're going to Zion. And yes, one generation has to sacrifice for the next generation. It's a choice. You don't have to. I urge you to. I encourage you to. A lot. I've been called a homewrecker before. A destroyer of homes. Because this is how I teach. Oh, he 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 told you know that uh, uh, he tried to uh, 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 break up our family, destroy our family. Well, okay, let's look at your family. You know, the dad's a sex head. The mom is crazy. The kids are sex heads, and there's this you know a kid there. To encourage this child, walk with the Lord, honor the Lord, learn from the Lord, be in the word, be in the word. Oh, look, he's causing family divisions. He's causing family divisions. Well, I speak of a different family. You're such a legalist. I speak of a different law. When parents lord over their kids. It's one thing if the kid is two, three, four, five, because they're kids. They need that. They need safety. Like kids 10, 15, you got to start letting go a little bit. Kids are going to get their driver's license. You got to let go. Go out, hang out with friends. You got to let go. Leave the home. You're letting go. You see? But then you lord over your kids. And what does Jesus Christ say? Remember, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. But let me first, let me first go to my family. You know, family first. No, the Lord first. The head of a different tree. You see? No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, parent, do you want that said of your kids? When your kid has this mindset, oh, family first, family first, family first. What if the Lord tells your kid, hey, I want you to do this. And then the kid says, oh, let me first go to my family. Let me first go to this. Let me first do this. Let me first go. Jesus Christ is not preeminent. That's a problem. Created by you, O parent. Created by you. And the Lord Jesus Christ says of your kid in this situation, that no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And this is the work of your hand, O parent. You see, a different family tree. Let's go back to our study in Numbers. Let the dead bury the dead as new covenant believers. In verse um, 
13, Numbers chapter 6, verse 13. Now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall present his offering to the Lord, one male lamb in its first year, without blemish as a burnt offering, one ewe lamb in its first year, without blemish as a sin offering, one ram without blemish as a peace offering. Remember, without blemish, nothing mangy. We studied this in Leviticus. Nothing mangy. A basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and their grain offering with their drink offerings. Remember in our studies in Leviticus, and you know we see that there are the the, the statutes and uh, practices individually as a shadow. All these offerings and sacrifices, Leviticus one, two, three, four, and you look at all these things individually. And in our study in Leviticus, we indicated them as a shadow of the things to come of Jesus Christ. And then you know we see them together in groupings or as like a, a not to cheapen it, but you see it as like a package deal. And I made mention, you know, that, you know, that in our further, in, the, in those, in our earlier studies in Leviticus, I made mention of, you know, in the future, as we read future chapters, you're going to see like package deals, package, not to cheapen it, but to, you're going to see these uh, groupings of these offerings in fulfillment of another offering. That's what we're seeing here in number six. Because you're seeing the conglomeration of these, uh, uh, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the peace offering, and then you see the grain offering here. The drink offering, you see a grouping of these offerings, things that we studied in Leviticus, and what is it for? The Nazarite vow. You see? The Nazarite vow of consecration. A package deal, a very, very special package encompassed in this person who takes the vow. Male, female, it doesn't matter. A guy cuts his head off, shaves his head off. A female shaves her head off, no hair. Very special consecration unto the Lord. Voluntary. Male, female, it doesn't matter. You say, wait a second, what are you talking about this package deal of very special people? Turn with me really quick to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And do you remember when there was this beef that arose in the early church and there were some uh, uh, widows who were neglected in the daily distribution? And what did the uh, apostles say in Acts chapter 6 verse 3? Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men. Of good reputation, which is a good witness, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. You see? Wisdom. Whom we may appoint over this business. Package deal. Package deal. The fruit of the Spirit. Just like, remember, we looked at the seven spirits of the Lord. Well, here you have some men who are of good reputation, a good witness, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And then you look at verse 5. Stephen had a, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So, full of faith. Very interesting that this package deal as New Covenant believers with Stephen, good reputation, good witness, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, and also full of faith. And what happened to Stephen? First to die. Not well received in the world. 
first to die. Package deal. The work of the Lord in his life. The work of the Spirit in his life. What about your life? What's your package deal? Does your package deal exemplify fruit of the flesh? If that's the case, you got some dying to do. The same way I have some dying to do. We're all in the same boat. I don't say this like, oh, you know, you're unholy and this person is holy. No, we're all in the same boat. It's for you and me to deny self, to reckon the old man dead, to reckon the old woman dead, to carry our cross, which is a tool of death, a means of death. And then be crucified with Christ, dead. And then alive in Christ. Remember our study in Romans 7. Married to the law, death to the law, married to Christ. You see, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I reference these chapters so you can say, oh, what is he talking about? And when we're done here. You can listen to Romans 7 and understand. Oh, this is what he's talking about. So sometimes I say in our studies in here, our studies in here, because in my heart of hearts, I pray. I hope the person wondering what in the world is this guy talking about? Who, you know, he or she, young or old, male, female, I don't care, anywhere in the world. You say, you know what? I'm going to write this down. And when this is over, I'm going to listen to Romans 7. You see, and faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. It's a beautiful package deal in the church. What's the package deal in the church today? Where's the work of the Spirit? Where's the good witness, the good reputation? Full of the Holy Spirit with wisdom, full of wisdom. And then just like Stephen, full of faith. Where? I mean, I, I know it's there, but just where? I'm just asking, where? Maybe it's in, you know, somebody in the youth group. Maybe it's somebody with the seniors. You know, anybody. Remember, the Nazarite vow, this package, this package deal of, uh, I, I don't say that to, you know, I just say package deal because it's like multiple offerings. Multiple offerings, a conglomeration of offerings, which, uh, you know, accumulate as one. But it's a very special vow of consecration being set apart unto the Lord. Let's go back to number 6. In verse 16, Then the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram as a, as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord when the basket of unleavened with the basket of unleavened bread, the priest shall offer its grain offering and its drink offering. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire, which is under the, the sacrifice of the peace offering. So included in the sacrifice is a piece of me. I mean, if that's you taking this Nazarite vow, I'm not advocating taking it, but I mean, supernaturally as in accordance with the law of faith being set apart and consecrated unto the lord but for this person can say like wow this a piece of me is included in this offering a piece of me is included you know my covering my hair it's a shadow of things to come 
You say, what do you mean a shadow of things to come? Turn with me really quick to Romans 12. Romans 12. It just so happens that, you know, our Sunday study is going to lead us here in Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I love this. Not just your hair. Your bodies. Everything about you. Give it to Lord, the Lord. Give it to Jesus. Oh, how can I serve the Lord? How can I serve the Lord? I want to go do this. I want to do this. I want to do that. What do I do? This guy's doing this. I'm going to do it like that. This lady's doing this. I'm going to do it like that. What do I do? What do I do? Hold on. Pause. Come here. Let's talk. Have a seat. I know you're, you have strong zeal. You want to do this. You want to do that. You want to do this. But let me, let me show you a better way. Present your body a living sacrifice to the Lord. That's your reasonable service. And in the course of time, the Lord re will reveal His will for your life. But you need to learn. You need to grow. You need to understand. You need to mature. You need to get a strong, strong leg, strong back, strong arms. Why? Because when you go fishing... You can go fishing for minnows, piece of cake. But what happens if you happen to catch a shark? It's dangerous. You know, you, you catch a minnow, it's dangerous for the minnow. In a good way. You catch a trout, eh, it's still manageable for you. You catch a sturgeon, okay, that's getting kind of in the realm of danger for you. You catch a shark, that's straight up dangerous for you. A great white, ooh. you catch a whale, forget about it. So many times people have this zeal for the Lord. And I'm not saying that's bad, it's beautiful. But in your zeal for the Lord, don't forget. Present your body a living sacrifice unto the Lord. All of you, not your hair, not a piece of you. All of you. You see, given to the Lord. By who? Self. Even in the camp, when very few do it, the majority, you know, oh, I do this, I'm going to go do this, do this, do this, do this, do that, I'm going to go here. I'm gonna... Then you have a bunch of Marthas in the church. Where are the Marys? You see? Very important to understand these new covenant undertones in our study in the book of Numbers. Let's go back to number six now. In Numbers 6, in closing, verse 19, And the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket, and one unleavened wafer, and put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated hair. And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. They are holy. They are Kodesh. For the priest, the Kohen, you see what's happening here? This beautiful picture of the union. This union of holiness. You have this person who's taking the Nazarite vow. And then you have the high priest. And today, what do we see? 
intimacy with Jesus. You present your body a living sacrifice. You have intimacy with Jesus. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You and him. You see? In verse 20, they are holy for the priest together with the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. So it's temporal. It's a temporal vow. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. But today, it's a lifetime. It's the rest of your life. To your last dying breath. The rest of your life. It's temporal. Say the the hair was you know an offering. The hair was included in the offering here in in chapter six. You get to Romans twelve. Not just the hair. Yeah, the hair's included, but also your head, also your torso, also your arms, also your legs, also your feet. Everything. Here, Lord. Here's my offering. You know this guy's offering. This guy wrote a check for a thousand bucks. This other guy wrote a check for ten thousand bucks. I can't do that. But all I have to give is me, Lord, and here am I. That's the better sacrifice. That's the better offering you. No money. You. People could get kind of down. You know, they're poor people. They come into the church, you know, and they see, wow, you know, the offering plate is coming. It's being passed around and all these people are putting money in. And then it gets to you, and you're poor, and you're like, man, I have no money. You know? And the, and they feel kind of like, man, I, like ashamed, like I have no money to give. Don't feel ashamed. If that's you, you're poor, don't feel ashamed. Present yourself a living sacrifice, which is a better offering. Lord, I have no money, but I give you me. The better offering. Better than the fat of rams. You see? Unto the Lord. And so look what happens here. In verse um, 21. In closing. This is the law of the Nazarite who vows to the Lord. The offering for his separation, consecration. Now, you know, these other passages of a separation is consecration included. But here, the, 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 uh, uh, the offering for his separation, it's consecration and crown. There's such a beautiful future that awaits the believer in Jesus Christ. Satan doesn't want you to see that. He'll put all these things in front of you. You know, the glitz and the glamour of the world. But the glitz and the glamour of the world is a lie from the pit of hell. Don't forget the crown that awaits you. The crown. Sometimes you hear people say, you know, it's multiple crowns. You know, you're going to have the crown of this, the crown of that, the crown of this. Me personally, I don't. I understand that. But what if it's attributes of the same crown? That's kind of where I lean. The 
crown. You know, look at Stephen. Stoned, killed. Remember the rich man and Lazarus? Who knows the rich guy's name? In his era, everybody, everybody knew his name, I bet. Everybody from the next cities over, the next towns over, from miles and miles, hundreds of miles away, everybody knew this rich guy. 2,000 years later, give or take, you know, however many number of years. Whose name do we know? Lazarus. You see, a different economy in the Lord's eyes, in the Lord. Totally different. Not in accordance with the ways of the world. But when we study and we analyze and we discuss and we explain this consecration, this being set apart unto the Lord, it's not just for today. It's not just for tomorrow. For the rest of our lives and into eternity. Why? Because a crown awaits you. And that's my desire for you. And so look what happens here. And besides that, he says, or, you know, I say he says, but, you know, Moses writing this down. And besides that, whatever else his hand is able to provide according to the vow which he takes, so he must do according to the law of his separation. So he must do, that's the law. Which if a person is going to take this vow of the Nazarite, it requires obedience to these statutes in this law. A very special, very special vow of consecration, but still requires obedience. The same thing like we see in Romans 12. You know, you present your body a living sacrifice unto the Lord, which is the better sacrifice. You know, you say, oh, I have no money, I have no money. That's fine. Give yourself unto the Lord. Not just your hair, not just your arms, not just your feet. Everything unto the Lord. And then when that happens, understand that it's... You know, remember the, the, the woman caught in adultery? Go and sin no more. That doesn't mean you offer your body a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. And then, you know, a week later, you're offering your body to Satan. No. It's complete and total service unto Jesus Christ. Not just your hair. Everything. And the Lord spoke to Moses in verse 23. Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I love this so much. Who in the camp? So say, for example, we go back in time. We join ourselves with the tribe of Dan. We have our little tent area right there in the tribe of Dan. And then we hear the Levites. We hear the, the priesthood or actually the Kohanim. We hear them explain this and they, they put this blessing upon the camp of Israel. Who in the camp? Male, female of any tribe would hear that and something would start to brew in their heart. Like, wow, the Lord has been so good to us as a people. The Lord has been so good to my family. 
The Lord has been so good to my friends. The Lord has been so good to me. And then voluntarily go to, you know, a priest, you know, and maybe a Levite and say, hey, priest, you know, is, what can I do? You know, I hear you bless us, and yes, the Lord has blessed us. And you know how you say this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And wow, it just blessed my socks off. And I'm just blown away, Lord, blown away by the work of the Lord. Is there anything I can do? And the Levite says, well, there's the vow of the Nazarite. Let me get a Cohen. Let's talk about this. Let's pray about this. And so, you know, all of a sudden this person goes and does the vow of the Nazarite. And then the priesthood. Remember in the, in the camp of the Levites, you have the little one-month-olds, two-months-old, one-year-old, three-year-old. This younger generation can see their dad doing this for the congregation, for the entire the camp, the assembly of Israel. Making them holy. Not, not him making them holy. It's the Lord doing it. But in obedience to the Lord, they're vessels that the Lord uses. And a little five-year-old, a little eight-year-old, a little ten-year-old can see, wow, Papa's doing this. Mom, what is he doing? Why does he do this? Well, he's helping them, baby girl. He's helping them, my son. And you're going to do this too one day. Wow, cool. I get to do that. Wow. And then the next generation can do it. Everything, you know, one generation helping the next generation of righteousness. Not lording over. Helping the next generation. Not walk with them. But walk with Jesus Christ. Remember John the Baptist? When his students, you know, who is this? Who is this? What do I do? Do I stay here with you? Or do I go with Jesus? And for John the Baptist to say, I must decrease. You guys go to him. You see? John the Baptist all alone. And what happens? Head chopped off. Praise be to the Lord. In verse 27, in closing, So they, the Kohanim, shall put my name on the children of Israel. And I will bless them. You see, it's pleasing for the Lord to bless. You know, he's still reactionary. Understand that he's still reactionary. But it's pleasing for God to bless his people. Remember, the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. Blessings fall upon the wicked too. And you know, the blessings fall upon the wicked. And the Lord uses those things to soften hearts. But the Lord is still reactionary. To carnality. And that's what we're going to see later on in future chapters in the book of Numbers. And it will break your heart. But even still, we see the heart of the Lord. Because he desires to bless Israel. We see God's heart in these, in these very verses that we're looking at today. We see his heart. This is all prior to, you know, as carnality starts to seep in, inside the camp. We see his love, God's love. And then we also see his faithfulness.
Praise be to the Lord. We're going to end our study here. And Lord willing, next week, pick up in chapter 7. God bless you guys. Love you guys.